Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. So I have a question for you. Has the impact of COVID ever made you consider giving up your salon or even moving interstate? You may have had to make changes to your team, stay open for longer hours, increase your prices to make any sort of profit for yourself. Your entire business plan might have had to change from dealing with financial and emotional stress to pressures and changes from your team. You may find yourself wondering, is it actually worth it? So I take my hat off to you. These last couple of years have not been easy. The salon industry has been really turned upside down. And you may be thinking, what the heck is next? That's why in this week's episode, I've invited four global leaders in the salon and spa industry to join me and talk about what giving into COVID pressures and coming out the other side looks like. Between them, my guests, they have decades of experience and still after COVID have seen incredible successes living a life of freedom and profit. Oh, by the way, so I don't often do this, but this episode is actually a sneak peek inside my Salon Mastery program. It's a replay from my recent Salon Mastery two-day intensive. It's all part of my program where we regularly have conversations and in-depth discussion. So sit back, listen up soak up all of the knowledge from these guest experts uh, that you possibly can. I know you'll enjoy what we all have to say on the topic of living a business ownership life in 2022 and beyond. I know that you guys know a lot of people here, but I also know that a lot of people don't know you. So maybe what I'll do is I might invite you to just give us a quick, who the heck are you anyway? And um, what do you do? How did you get to be doing what you're doing? Just kind of super high level and give us a little bit of an idea. So let's go in order of kind of uh, arrival. Richard, um, who, who are you anyway? <laughs> who are you? How did you get to be doing what you're doing? Um, give us just sort of a, a high level. Who is Richard? Who am I anyway? Uh, my name is Richard Kavanagh. I am... I uh, freelance session stylist and the I actually now I've I've pivoted I've been in the hair industry for three decades and uh, I've worked in salons small medium and large all around the world in about 2000 I went fully freelance as a session stylist so working on photo shoots fashion shows and celebrity red carpet events around the world um, I have had a pretty a pretty pinch me career. Um, I've been really lucky to have worked with all of my favorite people, publications, um, ticked all my career goals as a session stylist, uh, doing doing all the big shows and all the big magazines and all the big celebs and what have you. Um, I am based in Sydney, Australia. I'm originally from Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, I am since 
2018, uh, I've been working on a, a way to help salon professionals generate more revenue and give their customers the most magical customer experience possible. Uh, and since 2019, that's pretty much been my full-time gig. And Amazing. Yeah. And um, I love Peak. I love what you're doing with it. Um, and I know that's no easy feat. So um, well done you. Thank you. Um, all right, uh, Jordana, I might get you to do the same. Who are you anyway? <laughs> yeah. Also, well, thanks for having me. It's actually really nice to uh, talk to people from my side of the my side of the world for the afternoon. But I, um, yeah, my name's Jordana. I actually live in New York. Um, I live in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which actually most people know where that is, uh, which is kind of handy. Um, but I've been living in the states now um, for ten years. So I, um, I actually grew up on the Gold Coast and then moved to Melbourne, Australia. Uh, then moved over to um, to London, like all the other Australians and Kiwis, and then I actually, um, you know, lived in Canada, then over here. So I feel like I've my career started in Australia, but I've actually been really fortunate enough to be able to be a hairdresser in um, on different continents and multiple different um, and multiple different countries, which has been really fantastic. So. Right now, what I do is I actually manage all of the education for Kevin Murphy um, in North America. So I manage the education throughout both color and um, care education, but my background's all in color. So I've always been in color education. Um, and what I've been doing in the States is working in color education. Then I actually booth rent um, a salon chair. So effectively run my own, um, run my own business, um, you know, out of a salon, which is something that's really popular here in the US, but maybe not so popular um back in the southern hemisphere so all of my background has been um really heavy in education it's always where I'm like driving it's always um you know where my passion is um like a lot of people I think but I think I, I feel very much strongly that um I love seeing like the evolution of education as it is right now so I'm just really stoked that I get to be in the U.S. to sort of see what's happening here but yeah I think that's probably a nutshell <laughs> it's hard to sometimes think about all the things I've done but yeah <laughs> lots, of, lots of education yeah that's awesome and it's great to be able to have uh, a perspective from your side of the world um, at the moment as well um, thank you uh, Janine why don't you let us know like uh, who are you where are you in the world and who are you anyway yeah sure hey team um, super nice to be here uh, so yes, I'm Janine, um, and I have a I'm a salon owner. So I have a salon here in Wellington, New Zealand. So I've been a salon owner since I was 23, 24, um, and much like Richard, I'm knocking on uh, three decades in the industry, which is uh, scarier than I like to think. Um, but uh, also, I feel very fortunate. I've had a brilliant career in the hairdressing industry, and a large part of it has been very education focused. So. Um, I've owned salons, like I said, since I was 24. I've managed, I've had teams of up to 25. Um, and I currently have a smaller team of 14 and I love that number. It's actually like, um, that's my happy place actually. I've decided around 14, 15 people in my team is really good. Uh, I also am a global educator for uh, Kevin Murphy as well. So I get to work alongside the lovely Jodana. Um, and I, I look after the Asia Pacific region. So I work in color. So I educate color for APAC, which um, covers all of Asia Pacific, um, teaching, train the trainers, but as well as sort of going into salons and educating on color. Um, but my passion really is, has always been about just raising the um, standard in the industry 
um, I want other people to realise just how amazing it is and, um, you know, see the opportunities that are out there for each and every one and really rise our young ones up into the industry. So um, that's where my my um, passion really lies, is about helping people find their purpose within our industry and um, doing better business is a large part of what drives me as well. So, yeah, that's me. Amazing. Uh, well, sort of perfectly focused for this intensive. Um, these uh, amazing owners that are here now are all part of our Salon Mastery uh, or various programs working on growing their business. And the theme over the next two days is uh, to cultivate uh, a rockstar team. Um, there is a challenge in the industry always um, of finding great talent. So we're really focusing on growing our own. Uh, and how can we make uh, turn good people into great people and make sure that they stay for the long term? So with that in mind, um, I too have kind of been in the industry for a rather long time, scarily, um, 33 years now. And I was just saying to uh, the seller masters here that um, over the last 18 months, I think change has been prolific at the fastest and most rapid rate of all of that time um, in the industry. And, um, and I think it's going to continue to do so for the foreseeable future for multiple reasons. Uh, COVID being the main one that's kind of kicked things off. And for me, I feel like it's kicked off some changes that were probably inevitable, but have just sped it up. And I want us as a group here to kind of be a little bit ahead of the conversation or ahead of the changes so we can be mindful of it and think a little bit um, outside of our own goldfish bowl of the salon that we run it. Okay, well, without um, further ado, let's kick off with the most obvious one, uh, how COVID has affected our industry uh, and the way that we deliver uh, our business. Um, and I, I'm gonna kind of kick off with, let's talk about how it's affected our, client, our clients and the way that they engage with us. This need for this is my perception, is the need for connection has uh, grown um, and potentially the way that consumers think about our industry maybe has uh, changed and, and for the better. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, Richard, I'm going to hand it over to you first. What are your thoughts around how this has changed consumers' think... behaviour that we, that we need to uh, be mindful of? I think a couple of things. Um, I think there's some positives that have come out of it. I mean, let's obviously there's a load of challenges and we all know what all the challenges are and all the bullshit that's come along with it. But there's some positives that have come out of this crisis. And I think from a consumer point of view, the positive is, oh my fucking God, I need to see my hairdresser. I love my hairdresser. I can't live without them. That's the number one positive that's come out of it from a consumer point of view. Um, I think from a, a um, from a salon owner or salon professional point of view, I, I, um, the number one positive that's come out of it is when suddenly our ability to earn was taken away from us, we realized that this thing that we put our hearts and our souls and our passion and our, our love into this beautiful relationship we have with this hundred or so people was actually a business and that business needed money to run. And the only way I get my money is from my business. And all of a sudden we had all these salon owners going, holy fuck, I've got to take a look at the nuts and bolts. I've got to look at the X's and O's and 
make sure that when I'm looking at my revenue centers in the salon and how I treat my business as a business, I've got to do better with the basics of business because the client stuff's easy. The clients love us. The clients want us. Hairdressers tend to be very, very powerfully focused on customer service, customer experience, uh, brand experience and brand uh, identity. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a lot of that kind of the creative side of business that hairdressers are really great at and they're better than anyone else in many respects but the nuts and bolts get left behind. And I think the number one positive that came out of this is uh, one, our clients feel a greater need and value us more. And as, as salon professionals, we value the business more. And those two go hand in hand because that means that we, our customers see the transaction a little bit differently, right? Because there's this magical emotional and transformational transaction that happens in the salon experience. And that often overpowers the financial transaction. But I think that we, our, our customers and the salon professionals have, are, are looking at the financial transaction a little bit differently. In other words, they value us more. That was a really fucking loquacious way of saying our clients value <laughs> us more. Um, yes, I, I agree with this feeling. Uh, Janine, would you say that that's been something you've experienced? A hundred percent. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that uh, Richard was just talking about. I think um, from a client's perspective, uh, uh, they definitely uh, value us more. They, uh, you know, essential, not essential. Every lockdown, we're sort of deemed as non-essential. However, I think a hundred percent essential. Uh, that's certainly been highlighted. And I, I really think consumers have, um, our clients have greater understanding too that they they sort of rely on us for this great sense of self-care self-confidence self-esteem um as well as kind of like a sense of community if you like so uh you know when they're not able to be out there in the world and then they're not sort of having conversations or being touched by anyone for want of a better word um that has really created that that sense of strong connection and value to our salons and to our stylists which is only been awesome and I think yeah like Richard was saying earlier and yourself Larissa there you know there's certainly lots of cons let's face it there's a mountain of work that goes into all the communication and the getting back into it after lockdown and stuff um I think just this post last one which was three weeks for us it took 90 hours um 90 hours of just uh rescheduling clients to get back to which was an astounding amount of time right that's like um, one and a half weeks of work, basically. So, you know, those are the cons. But some of the really big pros for us have been that uh, our clients don't cancel like they were. Um, so we, we sort of run at an 80% occupancy anyway, but we sort of have these kind of 20% floaters that ring on the day or might just aren't quite um, such strong ambassadors to the salon, if you like. But we found that's changed. They sort of like don't want to cancel their appointments for fear of not being able to get in. So that's definitely been a pro. Uh, and, you know, we're looking at waiting lists with like 45 and 50 people on it. So that really makes for strong business. So we get those people that might need to move. We, we have people waiting to get in. So I think those um, pros have certainly built a stronger business. Um, and yeah, just coming back to what Richard said, you know, that very first lockdown, the first thing that went through my brain is I need to look at other ways to make money. I cannot rely on bricks and water and being able to be open seven days a week. So 
Um, you know, we created the online shop, which was one of the easiest things to do post the last lockdown, and it's going well. Um, but other irons and fires too, we've got a little iPad app on the go. So, and I encourage, I'm encouraging my team as well, each individual to actually start to think about, okay, guys, what can you offer the world? And what is it that you could do if you can't do what we do every day? Um, so we're actually working on that as a collective too. So I think about great opportunities. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Uh, your ability in particular to uh, think wider and not just um, holding on for dear life, you know, and, and giving them the opportunity to actually you've got a life to live here too, which, uh, which I kind of want to touch on. I'll come to you first, Jordana, though, but um, this whole kind of working from home flexible lifestyle and how this has changed uh, but before I move to that, Jordana, what's your perspective um, over in the US? New York in particular, like you've had a, 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 a not up to date with the latest, but you've had some rough times over there. What's the impact been on uh, the salon industry? Yeah, I think we, you know, we were probably like most known on the news in New York as being like the epicenter for a really long time. And um, I think we were shut down for the longest initially, um, which in the end, it didn't end up being the longest. I think we were shut down from the beginning of March to the end of July, um, which is actually quite a long period of time. But like the benefit to New York is we only shut down once and we didn't do it again. Um, so we really sort of got that handle on it. But what was really interesting in the beginning is I feel, um, you know, like a lot of people, um, the one thing that I will say on the positive, I think it was very similar to what Janine um, or Richard is saying there, but like the, the one positive I found was um, that a lot of stylists really had never taken this much time off. Um, they'd never really um, taken some time for some kind of work-life balance. Um, owners hadn't even had an opportunity to sort of breathe. And I think what happened is, you know, obviously they were supported somewhat by the government with these PPP loans, which were forgiven. Um, they also had um, unemployment was really high. They were paying us a lot of money to keep us at home for so long. So I think stylists and people actually had an opportunity to sit at home and be like, oh, my God, I used to work 80 plus hours a week. I don't ever want to go back to working this kind of schedule again. How do I now, I've got this time, how do I actually reevaluate how to make my salon life work? How do I have a really great work-life balance, um, but still make that money as well? And I think that was one of the, the yeah. positives that kind of came out of it. And a lot of stylists I know are reducing their hours, um, but, you know, really valuing their um, services and actually charging more money. Um, you know, going to hourly, um, like hourly compensation. So, you know, and raising it quite often so that they're actually kind of building this lifestyle that they want within like, you know, earning as much as they want within the hours that they want to actually um, work, which I think was actually really great for our industry. Um, so I think we're such people pleasers <laughs> that will say yes all the time. And stylists really didn't have that much of a healthy work-life balance over here. And that's just general of the US. It's very much a work to, a live to work culture. So I really enjoyed seeing that shift in the US. Um, you know, some of the things that came up, which were really, funny now because it's done but you know in a lot of states what was deemed essential and what wasn't you know in a lot of states like things like strippers were deemed as essential but hairstylists weren't and I was just like <laughs> what is this like it was such a strange moment and there was protests everywhere so it was like why is it I don't understand so it brought up some really um like interesting topics and then you know one of the really interesting things that I saw was when home you know talking to Janine's point before, like, how do you make money um, if you can't be open? And I think all these online shops opened up, but it really brought up the very controversial topic of do we start selling 
color to our clients so they can do their hair at home. And I actually think it's opened up, um, you know, a business opportunity in itself. Like at first everyone was like, no, absolutely not. We would never do this. Um, you know, this is our profession, but really I think now it's got everyone talking and thinking, how could we do something like this, but still not take away from our profession. But if anything happens in the future, how do we future proof ourselves as hairdressers? Um, so that was like something that I found. Um, the two things that I found really interesting, I guess, coming out of that was how people are thinking about how they're going to balance their life, but also how can we do different things um, that we wouldn't have thought about before because it would have been against everything we wanted to do. But maybe we do need to start thinking outside the box to really future proof our future or future proof our business, not our future. <laughs> Too many future well, both. Uh, yeah yeah um, so that's kind of you know it's been really it's been an interesting ride um definitely hey i just wanted to pop in to tell you something don't worry we're going to get back to this awesome episode in just a second now if this sounds like you listen up you have a team you love your team but you're sick of wondering why and wishing your team would make their sales targets you want them to be smashing sales because it shows that they're actually looking after their clients really well. Like imagine if you could have a way to make more from the clients that you already have, increase sales without spending more on advertising. Well, it's totally possible and I want to help you. And I want to help you do it with ease, in a classy way. No hard and dirty sales tricks here. Ways to serve your clients, make more, because everybody wins, the team, the client, and of course, you, the business owner. Now, if you want to find out more, just DM me uh, and let's chat. I'll make a plan for you. I'm also going to leave a link for you on the show notes of this episode. All right, let's get back to the episode. Um, okay, I think there are two hot topics that I want to dive into on uh, the table here. Steve, super pleased to have you uh, join us. Um, Welcome, Steve. For those of you who don't know, Steve English. Hey, hey, hey. Good morning. Um, sorry for my tardiness. Uh, coming across, I've got. Oh, you'll be sorry, mate. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. I, I do apologise. It was uh, getting kids sorted for school and then getting out, um, out of my house so they can use the uh, internet, um, which is joyous. I had to lag it to the salon. Um, sorry, Larissa. So could you please say that again? All good. I was just welcoming you here. Um, we've had a good chat about uh, the changes of COVID and I want to dive into uh, two key things. Um, one is around this opportunity that uh, these changes have provided for us and controversial or not controversial. I think it's a good topic. I want to jump into that. Before we do, I just want to spend a little bit more of a moment on this whole flexible lifestyle emerging because it's not just an industry thing. This is something that office workers um, are... Uh, any industry actually is experiencing a shift. Simple things like people working in an office and uh, from a computer and a desk and being able to walk, uh, work from home, it's kind of a simple solution. But for some businesses, um, hair and beauty, for example, it's a little bit more challenging. And so it puts a, I feel it puts a little bit of pressure on the industry and how we uh, cope with this and how we deal with this, not only because of this... Uh, forced focus on lifestyle, uh, work-life balance, the realization that we've been doing it wrong all of this time, long, you know, 12-hour days without eating and going to the toilet. How many memes have we seen for this industry that, you know, we check our phone and eat our lunch while we quickly go to the loo while our clients at the basin? 
and maybe that is not going to cut it or be tolerated going forward. So how do we become successful when we've got not only the external pressure of other businesses uh, changing, but for our own, when we're typically used to a certain way or certain lifestyle, plus the, the Y and Z generation coming up who are basically coming into the workforce with the Z generation anyway, coming into the, to the workforce at a time that is affected by COVID and these, these uh, changes. So I think it's not a change that like we are going back to how it was. There is no going back. This is how it is and it's going to continue to develop. Um, what are your thoughts uh, on what is this flexible work from home, quote unquote, lifestyle factor? How is it going to uh, affect the peak hours of the industry? What are your thoughts? Um, I'll throw that open to Steve, you're welcome to jump in. I know you and I have had a, a conversation about this in the past. Um, I think the modern hairdresser or the modern salon uh, will probably, I believe, um, and it's probably the, the way we're going to go, is more staff, um, opening longer hours and trying to share the workload. I think um, looking at COVID and what it's done, and, and although there's probably so much fear when it first kicks in, um, but now a lot of your, the team have, have sort of have embraced it and they've enjoyed this. They're definitely ready to come back to work, but um, they've enjoyed a little bit of their own time. Um, and I think that the, the, the old adage of round peg square holes doesn't really work. And I think that what we're going to be looking at is trying to make um, it fit for our staff. And I think that the, the modern hairdresser knows what they want or the modern those um new generations really look at uh their lifestyle plus what they can do and how they can earn and some of them are going to have more than one job as well i think the the new hairdresser is gonna um they might be a hairdresser for three days they might i don't know be a dj they might be they might work in a the kitchen they might do and i think that they're going to embrace multi multi-facets because they're so used to technology working and they're so used to um Having a long think about and they get bored so that board chef and two nice cutting hair a three so i do think that, that that's probably um a look at the modern uh entrepreneur hairdresser types type space yeah for sure um janine you actually forgive me if i'm wrong on this still run split shift like two teams uh, and kind of extended hours just on that note that um stevie mentioned do you want to speak to that yeah absolutely yeah so um yeah, post sort of coming out of the last lockdown, we when we came back, we actually went into split teams, split shifts for a myriad of reasons. One, to keep you know teams isolated should one team go down or all of the things. Anyway, what came out of that, we sort of had a um, a very open conversation around what the future looked like for my team and how they actually wanted to work. One of the biggest things that was highlighted was the need for them to have weekends off actually. Um, so uh, that really created a new structure of hours where now they, they work four days a week. So they do, um, everyone sort of does 30 hours over four days and they either do Tuesday to Friday or they do Wednesday to Saturday. Um, and that, that's been working super, super well. But yeah, just going back to what CB was saying, I do think the future is around um, more staff working less hours, absolutely. Uh, I was never an employer of freelance um, hairdressers previously, but I have three now. 
Um, and that's a great, uh, that's actually been a great addition to my um, team rollout. They, they are part of our team. They do con contribute to sort of like team events and that sort of thing, but they very much sort of come and go, look after their own clients, look after their own selves within our environment. So um, I'm an advocate for that now. I think that's a really great layer to add on to your team. You just have to have super good uh, communication structure and um, agreements in place so that there's no messiness between your people that are employed full-time and expectation, all of the things, we all know what happens there, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, but that's definitely been a change for uh, my salon and I think, um, you know, going back to what Stevie was saying, I think there is, that will be the way of the future, more people across all hours. Uh, but one of the bigger things for me around team and staff at the moment coming back to our younger team members like the Gen Z's coming in now um, they are they are really different and even the Gen Y's you know they um, they are working a lot smarter they want more of a work-life balance absolutely um, whereas back in my day we just worked what we were told and we did what we were told and some of those weeks look like 60 hour weeks heaven forbid I would never get my team to do that <laughs> they just wouldn't do it, I don't think. Um, so, you know, so they are um, on a bit more of a mission to have work-life balance and they have got a much bigger awareness around what that looks like for them. Uh, they also have an appetite for speed, so they want to learn everything fast. They've grown up in this really native digital, um, you know, that's their upbringing. They've just grown up on that stuff. When I tell my kids who are 15 and 18 that we didn't have a computer or internet, they, they think I'm joking. They're like, whatever, mum. Um, but, you know, this is just the life that they lead. So um, same with my young ones. But I think my biggest thing around my younger team members, it's really important to connect purpose to their life and the, their life within the salon, if that makes sense. Um, that really creates the loyalty. They really need to feel like um, they have a purpose bigger than themselves, bigger than the salon, but it fits into the salon and that they 100% are reaching their greatest potential under your, um, under your wing, if you like. So um, I think that's probably been my biggest um, work on for my younger team coming through, especially around all this mental health stuff. And it's so much more, uh, everyone's more hyper aware of it and potential and purpose really, for me, helps to maintain that and helps keep that healthy. Um, so yeah, that's my kind of two cents on, on our younger staff coming through. Janine, can I just ask you on that? I just, sorry to butt in, but like, I think that's a really great point that you make um, around creating a culture of personal empowerment and growth, right? And, and what you're doing there is really taking the initiative as the team leader, as the leader to create a culture that allows those people to flourish and thrive. And that will make them stay with you if they know that they're free to fly, right? But... Um, one of the things that, that I wonder is, you know, when you look at most salon owners or salon managers, they're really busy with their own clientele. Do you carve out specific time to work on your rosters and your team culture and, and all of that? Or how do you actually, what's your process? What do you, how do you manage? Yeah, great question, Richard. So I have actually worked myself to a position where I no longer do clients anymore. Um, I do the odd few just to, you know, for fun or whatever um, and I do clients sort of in an education format but I, my team and my clientele so um, I sort of made that decision about 10 years ago and uh, best decision ever 
because I, I just couldn't, I couldn't give to, to everyone and everything. So I'm now in, uh, and to be, you know, very honest, my salon has never been stronger with me not doing clients. I, I remember looking around my salon one day and thinking, this is crazy. I'm working back-to-back clients. And I've got three stylists over there, keen as mustard to run a clientele, and I'm not letting them. So once I had that epiphany, it was like no looking back. Uh, and it is, it is time-consuming. If I put my you know, hat back on of when I was um, running a clientele and looking after a team, I would mark out time, yes. I would mark out time um, to do administration things, but also time to have one-on-ones with staff and things like that. So I think my team, you, you, it's, um, you can't afford not to, I think, in this day and age. If you are not connected to your people, they are not connected to you. Uh, so it's super important to make that time for them. Um, I want to touch on this kind of uh, workforce and turning our teams into your your client. This was the same experience for me. As soon as I mentally shifted that my client was no longer the people that I served every day, but they were my team. That's when my business took off and and grew. Uh, But as an industry, both in hair and in beauty, uh, the, the ongoing challenge is... I'm looking for somebody, there's nobody available. And I know that several, this this conversation comes up for me on a weekly basis. And I want to get your insight uh, from the four of you on that topic, because um, for me, it's not a new problem. I faced this problem when I first opened my salon in 1992. That was a challenge then. And the challenge never went away. Um, And this intensive, the next two days, is really talking about how to solve that. But I, I would love your thoughts on like why actually is this a challenge in the industry? Can I talk to that? Because I want yeah, to talk please. about me getting into the industry as a 15-year-old straight boy in the 80s in Auckland, New Zealand. I didn't know it you were took me <laughs> <laughs> only when I'm not with you, mate. Okay, all right, okay, thanks. <laughs> Um, I didn't, it took, it literally took me 18 months of door knocking before I got a job in a salon, even as a, as, as an assistant, as an apprentice, as a, I wanted to get an apprenticeship, obviously, but it was so hard for me to find my way in. And I wonder whether there's an issue in the industry where we inside the industry are going, where are all these people? We can't find good people. And there are people outside the industry going, how do I get in? Or how do I even know that this is something I might like to do? And that's, that's really interesting. That is really interesting because you're, you're kind of saying there, are we, are we staying too sheltered? Are we staying too closed-minded to be open? to the who of what's possible is that kind of is that kind of the message yeah look i just i just wonder if there's something in that i just thought of it just then because i just remembered like how hard it was for me to actually get into the industry and yet i have heard since i got in how hard it is to find people right it's not a new problem and i think we keep thinking that this is a new problem that there's less and less people interested in being in the industry but it's it's been the same problem we've had forever right so how do we one 
find great people that we want to grow within the cultures that we're creating? And two, how do we retain those people in a way that makes them stay not only through their apprenticeship training, but also through and into being good, productive team members long-term? I mean, I'm um, asking the question. I've got no answers yeah, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to kind of pose uh, a thought and then have uh, a conversation around that because um, when I got my apprenticeship, I came to a salon. I did an apprenticeship. The minute I was qualified, I started looking elsewhere. The grass was greener. There, uh, in my experience, uh, that's what happened. There were a lot of apprentices when I came, all income generating, and as soon as they qualified, they left and they either had babies traveled or they got a job somewhere else. And um, what did I do? I just thought that's what you did. I wasn't a conscious thought, but I, I achieved everything. I was earning a whole $10 an hour and uh, thought I was pretty rich and ended up um, opening a salon. And I see this in our industry is that there's no career path for the hair and beauty industry as a typical um, when we look around the industry, so I don't think there's a shortage of people. I think there's a shortage of people staying in businesses and there are too many salons with small teams and not enough salons retaining larger teams and actually creating a career path for the industry. Um, and so the average uh, salon in Australia is three to four team members, oh no, three to five team members, which is really quite a small team. Um, for an, an industry average. So I think uh, not only do we not have a lot of people qualify and complete, probably for the things like uh, long hours, 12 hour days, and the things that we used to think were stock standard. Uh, so we don't have a lot of people that come through and qualify, but then they leave quickly. And we've got lots of small businesses rather than uh, creating future for uh, the people and reason to stay. Does that resonate? Well, if you think about tertiary education, right? Like, when people finish school, they go and do tertiary education for, you know, two, 18 months, two years, three years, and then they go and do an OE and they have an adventure. And, and I think one of the things that perhaps if you think about it kind of holistically from a big picture lifespan point of view, you've got a kid who's going to school, then they go and do their tertiary, which is their apprenticeship, and then they want to go and have a life experience and, and fly the nest, you know, they want to go and, and do their next big adventure. And I wonder if as an industry, you know, if we're not looking at two things, one, do we, do we need to find a way to allow people the freedom to, to know that that's going to be a part of their cycle, right? We know that they're going to go off and, and do their OE. They're going to go and do what they need to do. So we allow them the freedom to do that as business owners and, and nurture them in their journey, help them save up and make sure that they've got a spot when they come back. So we know in our kind of work cycle of our staff that they're going to get through their apprenticeship, they're going to go away for a year or two, and then they're going to come back. Maybe we can get our mindset around a, a work cycle or a staffing cycle like that. The second thing is, I, I don't know if we have enough role, role models, for lack of a better word, of the multiple different career paths that people can see you know, as they're coming up through school. I mean, I was told that you only become a hairdresser if you're too stupid to do anything else. And, uh, you know, literally that was the mindset when I was growing up. And we know that that's not true. 
You know, there are so many amazing career paths that you can take. You can have a lifestyle career. You can literally put your scissors in a comb in your pocket and backpack around and meet amazing people and pay your rent by doing your craft. You can, you can travel. You can travel at all different levels. You can become a business owner. You can make money. You can um, have a creative career. You can be an educator. There's, there's all of these paths, but is there a model that we're that we're not presenting as an industry to people who might be looking for, you know, because I think as an industry, we get a little bit myopic, right? Look, come and join this amazing creative industry. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're not, we're presenting a model of uh, come and work in a salon. But there is so much more to our industry. And that might be more enticing. Yeah, which is kind of to your point, Janine, around uh, actually not holding on to them so tightly that um, we don't recognize that actually what's their life, what's in it for their life and how do we keep them in the industry and how do we keep a part of them, but maybe not all of them as time goes by. This is something obviously you've thought a little bit about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yes, a couple of key things for me, definitely career pathways uh, needs to be so, so strong. So we have career pathways right from the very first day they walk in the door see entirely what it looks like to progress from there right up to being either a salon owner and we'll try and support you to that step or global um, like an educator or a uh, editorial stylist it's really about finding out what they want to do and create that within our bubble that definitely keeps them um, a bit here here a bit longer and a bit more loyal Uh, but also if they if they want to go they go with your blessing you know like there's there's so much bitterness with salons around a senior stylist leaving or um, and all that kind of thing just let them go with your blessing know that you've done the absolute best by them in the time that they've been with you you've helped them reach their best potential under your banner um, and now go be go do and do great things somewhere else I want to see that I want to see you do great things somewhere else um, and when they leave on those terms they come back you know like I've had many go away for a year to like Sri Lanka for example or um, off on an OE, some have taken 10 weeks. I allow my team to take 10 to 12 weeks uh, leave so that they can go and do Europe and come back. That works for me. Like, I'd much rather that they do that than leave for two years and come back, right? So um, I think sure. it's really about, um, yeah, letting them, finding out what it is that they want. One of the biggest epiphanies I had, though, in the last 12 months, I have to say, has been around money, especially with young ones. So I have, um, I always have apprentices. I'm such an advocate for training your own. Uh, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but for the first time ever, I actually sat my first year apprentices down and told them what it looked like and what you could actually earn as a senior stylist. I've never done that before. And I kind of thought, Janine, why have you not ever done this before? We've talked about what skills they need to obtain, how they move up to the next level and the little pay rises they get. But I never actually sat them down and said, you know, as a stylist, you can earn this much. Um, so that's been a great thing because now they're not thinking, oh, at the end of three years, I'm going to be on this wage and doing the same thing. They actually have some, they know the financial gains that they can get. And then with my senior team, I sit them down too and actually have the question. I ask them, what is it you want to earn, either weekly, annually, or hourly? And then we work backwards. We work out exactly how many clients that, that looks like for them to have their turnover that they need to be doing. Um, and we don't stop until they hit that. And then once they hit that, if they want to keep going, then, you know, teamwork. So I think that money conversation is really important. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. let's face it, there's a massive 
stigma attached to the industry about not being that well paid, right? Yeah. But most of us know that it can be well paid. Um, we just have to you help our people get there. there. Yeah. I've always well, luckily, said. Luckily, uh, we're uh, doing that plan uh, this afternoon. So, uh, Stevie, yay. yeah. Stevie, you have some thoughts on that. And then, Jordana, I want to hop over to you for sort of like a US uh, perspective because things I've are got slightly different. A few thoughts. Here. I've always said um, average hairdressers get average money, um, shit hot hairdressers get shit hot money. And I think that uh, that sort of. Um, comes down to education. I mean, I'll just get into Richard's points. Um, Anjani and I agree with you both um, on all of it really in terms of career pathways. I think uh, I'm a salon owner. I've had multiple salons. I now have one. Uh, we have 15 staff at the minute. Um, and I think, you know, the, the idea that you're, so you're role models, right? So Richard can be a role model to me, but if I think about my parents as role models in terms of marriage and how that looks, you know what marriage should look like, right? Potentially if they're good role models. And I think that as a business owner, you should um, try and model what a good business owner looks like and also how to teach and train your team to go into owning their business, to go into hitting targets, to go into education, working hard, so, you know, having those um, honest, strong conversations from day one. Um, so we, we are big believers in every three months we have our um, appraisals. We really work towards goal setting. Uh, and I think uh, on all of your points in terms of money, but also in terms of um, leaving the cage open if they want to go out and fly away, they can. But knowing that they're... Um, that it's always open back for them, knowing that uh, you clap them out, you don't um, stab them in the back. I think that, you know, all the, because I think I read in one of the comments, um, someone was saying that, you know, clients are their own, but they're not our clients. They're not the, you know, you, people are, are open to choose. And so I think, you know, for me as a business owner, I want to be chosen as the best place to work. And I guess to, for that to happen and to keep your staff and to keep growing them, you have to show them that. You have to show them love. You have to show them empathy. You have to show respect. Um, and I guess you have to show them money, right? And, and flexibility and, and all of those sorts of things. So I think for me, agreeing with both Janine and Richard, and, and I think the, the more successful businesses um, roll all of that into um, being like a sometimes a parent, sometimes some weird uncle sometimes, you know, uh, you know, the best friends, uh, you know, the, the brother. Um, sometimes you have to be strict. Yeah, but, you know, and, and, and really to, to be that, um, to be that person because you want people to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. I love that, the weird uncle, whatever it takes. <laughs> Jordana, what Within if, reason. What, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, Jordana, what, what are your thoughts? Um, on the top yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, the US is somewhat um, different and I feel like it's coming to Australia and New Zealand maybe slowly, but we have like somewhat of a situation here now where everyone's moving into sweet salons. Um, so I think what happens over here in the industry is a lot of people, um, the training, and I, I don't want to talk negatively because it's not all training, but the training over here is very different. Apprenticeships aren't popular. Um, you go to school, you come out, you do these internships, you're not really qualified to teach, but you can't get a license without touching. If you don't have a license, you can't even shampoo hair. There's these really weird um, regulations. And I think what it does is it, it sets people up 
to not be as to train to to not be trained as well in the beginning and then they get into a salon and then they're effectively working for no money on an internship they're working under really bad conditions and they leave um i do think that's one part of it is they're just not really i, I agree with all that there's no um career path no one's saying to them this is where you're going to start and this is how we're going to to grow you and then i think what happens which is really sad is people think well i'm not going to have this at a salon so i'm going to go out on my own and then they don't have any business training um and they don't know how to do their taxes or <laughs> to pay their bills or or to run their suite so there's like a bit of an epidemic you want to put of these suite owners and it's kind of diminishing that culture that salon culture um that you would get um regularly when you're working in a salon and i do think that what it does as well is you know one of the things that i really loved is working in a booth rental salon, you know, it's like effectively working in a salon that you normally would, but you're running your own business, but you have the same culture. Um, so there's certain ways to do it in the US, which make it better. But if I will say the one thing I feel like why here, you can't find stylists. Um, it's very frowned upon here. If you go to, um, like, I know so many hairdressers that their parents made them go to college and they made them become um, like doctors or they made them become, um, I'm trying to give an example, like go into finance or something that they thought was going to be a career that was stable. And then, you know, they got out of that career, worked in it for five years and now they're going to hairdressing school. So I actually think there's like, a like an untapped market of older people. Um, you know, instead of going for that 16, 17 year old or 18 year old who may not know exactly what they want to do yet. Um, I think, you know, actually trying to pinpoint these, this older generation of people who think there's this perception, oh, I'm too old to become a hairdresser. Like if you missed your window, you know, you're not going to make it. But I think there's actually a market of people um, that could come into the industry who are in their 20s, 30s, even 40s that could actually make a really good career out of it. But we don't encourage it. Um, and they think that they they can't because they're too old, uh, which is like this. really crazy. Um, but I think that they're the best because if you're a 30, let's say you're a 30 year old, um, you know, man or woman or 30 year old person and you actually, by that time, you, you probably know that this is what you want to do. And when you get into training, you're going to be so dedicated to your path, um, you know, as opposed to, you know, maybe when you're a bit younger and you're still trying to find out what you want to do. So I, I do think that there's a lot of people that we could target in that um, way. And to uh, Richard's point before, I mean, I was 18 when I started to look for an apprenticeship and I felt like I couldn't get an apprenticeship um, because I felt too old, which is crazy. Now that I think about it, how could I be too old at 18 to get an apprenticeship? <laughs> um, and it's just, I, you know, I went to a few really ritzy salons in the Gold Coast and they wouldn't take me, but then I found this like amazing salon, super busy that took me and to your point earlier too, Lisa, I actually left that. I, I actually left them because I wanted to go to a fancy salon um, that I thought was going to be great for my career. And I hated it. And all I wanted to do was come back to this wonderful salon that nurtured me and loved me. <laughs> so I do think there's like, you know, over here, what's missing in the U S 100% is like culture is like one of the, the biggest things that people are trying to cultivate. And um, there's actually a salon here called soon beauty lab. Um, and she had three locations um, and that's who I used to work with a lot. And um, she ended up closing one during the pandemic because she decided it wasn't right. But she was she has no problem finding staff. And this is what I, I always watched her and like, why does she have no issues in the US? And she trained her staff really well. I, you know, I feel like she's very similar to you, Janine, and she creates this culture and she creates this training path and this program for them to build up. 
Um, and then they often go off and they, there's a lot of them I know that are in independent salons or have opened their own salons. And um, I remember someone saying to her one day, but don't you feel like you've like invested all this money into these people, you've trained them and now they've just gone and they've left you and they're opening up their own salon. And she was, <laughs> one thing she said that always stuck to me was, well, what's the alternative? I don't train them and they stay. And I was like, exactly. You want either a bunch of really highly qualified people that then you're so happy and, and they have a reputation of go to this salon because they're going to nourish you and, and guide your career or you have a bunch of people that will just stay there for a paycheck that don't actually want to learn. So um, that was like one of my, um, the key things that I feel like in the US that the more education you can throw, like that you can provide for them, the more growth, the more that the, I see those salons being successful and actually getting staff. Um, as yeah. opposed to other salons, you know. But. I love that. And I, I think the, uh, the the untapped opportunity that you mentioned there is this adult apprentice. There's a group of people that um, wished they could have, should have, would have come into the industry and now see an opportunity to change and come back. I know that there's a few people here who've been chatting in the comments saying this has been one of the most successful things that they have done. You don't have to teach an adult how to turn up on time, how to talk to customers and just be an average human. When we're employing people that are 15, 16, 17, we're still uh, teaching them how to just be at work, like turn up on time and do all those kind of basic things in customer service. And it's time consuming. You can shortcut all of that all of that by taking on adult people who are desperate and begging to work for you. So I love that as kind of a focus. Um, all right, I'm super keen to stay on time for our session today. We've got a jam packed today. So my kind of takeaway from that is that um, we actually have to, be, have to be prepared for change and evolution. I think the days of us trying to grow somebody, put everything into them with the expectation that they're going to pay us back for years with loyalty and commitment just because those days are gone and we actually need to build a business model that is stronger and that includes and is built for change. People will come and people will go, they have lives to live. Do we agree that that's kind of a mindset of, of the business owner. Yeah, Steve's nodding. I want to say, first of all, uh, Jordana, Stevie, uh, Richard, Janine, thank you so much for your time and your insights and your kind of high-level thinking on what's happening in the industry. I really um, appreciate that. You've been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's been yeah, nice. Thanks for good. Appreciate you taking yeah, the time out. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sorry for my tardiness. Obviously, I'm, I'm the, the boss that's uh, used to becoming uh, late or something. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we'll let you off. <laughs> and that's a wrap for this week's episode. Well, I don't know about you, but I find it super refreshing and inspiring to hear from people that know exactly what this industry is going through and how best to handle it. It gives me great hope for the future of our industry. So I thank you so much, Richard, Jordana, Stevie and Janine for your time today. I do appreciate it. Now, I hope you enjoyed the sneak peek of my Salon Mastery Coaching Program. It's truly conversations like these with this group of owners of Salon Masters that are, real, are the real game changers, I believe. So if you're listening and you'd like to find out more about the Salon Mastery Program, then come and chat with me. I'm going to leave the link to do so in the show notes of this episode. So otherwise, I shall catch you same time, same place on the podcast. Ciao for now. 
thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast. Tune in every week as I reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon CEO and master your salon success. Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.